Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Happy Easter, One Church family. Our reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 3 to 23. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, 
receive the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, thank you, Rodney. Happy Easter, everyone. And before we unpack that great text from John chapter 20 on this great Easter weekend, I want to take a moment and I want to present to you a simple, simple Bible verse that I think every human being should stop and consider. And I want to do it at the beginning of the teaching because I'll come back to it at the end. I want to lay it on your hearts early. It's simple words from the Apostle Paul. He writes in Romans, he says, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul's talking about two different levels there. He says, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart, the internal and external expression, we will be saved. So let's pick up our story where we left it off. Remember last weekend, we began Holy Week with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem? And then Pastor Jessica led us to the place of Jesus' great sacrifice, the cross and his burial on Good Friday. And the last time we were uh, with Jesus and he was with his disciples, remember, they were denying him and they were deserting him in that moment. And so the words that, we did, that Rodney just read are pretty impressive because did you notice he didn't say to Mary when Mary discovers who he is, he doesn't say, now, hey, go tell those deserters You go tell those deserters who couldn't stay up for one hour to pray with me in the Garden of Gethsemane in my greatest hour of need, they fell asleep. You go tell those miserable deserters that that weren't there in my greatest hour of danger, you tell them to come here and get at my feet and ask forgiveness for turning your back on me. But he doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, go tell my brothers. Go tell my brothers. It's interesting, even in the latter part where he shows up to the disciples, did you notice that there's no word of rebuke from him? No rebuke, amazing. No rebuke falls off his lips. Instead, he says, receive. Or receive what? Gifts. You see, Jesus has resurrection gifts for his followers. He's been on a long trip and he's come back with gifts. When I was a little kid, and I'm one of six kids, my dad would often travel to Japan. He uh, he would go and tour the Yamaha factories there and all the latest advances in musical instruments and all that kind of stuff. He'd be away for, it seemed like forever when we were little kids. It probably was 10 to 14 days he'd be overseas, and he'd always come back, and we'd be so excited. Night before, mom would say, dad's coming home tomorrow. We'd be so excited. Yeah, we wanted to see him, but we always knew this. Dad would bring back these really interesting mementos, little gifts, little something from Japan, something you couldn't get in Canada, and we look forward to that. Well, Jesus had been on a long, dark trip, and he's come back with mementos, gifts, things that we couldn't get in our present reality, things he had to go and get in a place that was far removed from where we are. See, Jesus had gone into the jaws of death itself. He had gone down the throat of death, right into the stomach of death. And death tried to grind up Jesus as it had done to everyone else before him. But death couldn't hold Jesus. Instead, he punched a hole in the belly of death. And he comes to his followers and he says this. He says, if you believe in me and death swallows you, and, you're, and I'm your savior, you can come out the same way I did. Death will not be able to hold on to you. 
In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, it says in the Bible that death is something that all of us are in bondage to, that we all live in bondage of the fear of death. And for many of us, unless we're close to the edge of death, we don't think about it a lot. But there's this undercurrent, this anxiety, this desperation that's built into the human condition because we don't know how it's all going to end. So we have this fear of death that we face. And we're going to face that death today. We're going to face that greatest fear. And we can do it because Jesus is risen from the grave. We can confront our greatest fear. Now, Pastor Jessica and I have been uh, doing a number of challenges over the last couple of weeks, and uh, we, we've done the hot wings, and man, they were hot. We've, we've, uh, Pastor Jessica, in particular, confronted some of her fears around animals, and, and of course, I, I, you know, we had our food challenge, and I ate balut. If you haven't seen that video, you should check that out. Uh, but this was the hardest one for me, personally, as I confronted my greatest fear. Take a look. Hey, one CO, we're here for the last of our four challenges. We started these challenges with hot wings. Then we went to exotic animals. Then I ate balloon. And now, Pastor Jonathan, we're gonna face one of your greatest fears, heights. What do you think? I've been there before with my boys years ago. I think I can do this. Well, let's see. Okay, well, come let's along. Go. This is high. Really high. How do you feel? Uh, I, I don't. I don't like heights at all. Nope. I have something better in store for you. It's Be better than this. Better lower. Let's go this way. Okay. Well. Gotta go. No. No, we're not. Yeah, we are. Are you serious? Let's go. Come on. Uh, What are you thinking? I'm thinking this is a bad idea. <laughs> right through here. Any last words? Goodbye. <laughs> Above the ground, that is 1,168 feet and 160 stories. If you want to picture it that way too, this first activity is called Toes Over Toronto. Okay, Jonathan. Yeah, you got this. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Good job, Jonathan. Let's try it, Jessica. It's... Yeah, 
awesome job. We're gonna do our second activity already. And do you guys have any idea what it is? Yeah, leaning backwards. <laughs> All right, Jonathan. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Let, let's go somewhere else first. <laughs> try someone else. You want to try? I don't think I can try it. Okay, we can, can try it. later. Oh, How about if I do it, then you do it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't All know. right, Jessica. Okay. Let's so sit down on it like a chair. Is this not going to No, it's going to hold you so good. Go, Jessica. Yeah, walk yourself back. Yeah, and now push those things out. Way to go, yeah. Jessica! Good job, Jessica! Yeah, straight those knees. I'm so proud of all of you. Okay. <laughs> Are we almost ready to go? <laughs> Not quite yet. He's got over the edge. So, no, 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 no. we are going to do our third activity, which is a lean forward. Oh. Alright, Jessica. Bring yourself to the second line. Push the rope out first. Yeah, push it out and bring your shoulder to it. Yeah. Okay, good job, Jessica. Come on, Jonathan? No, you're not. No, I'm not. Okay, how about we take just some steps forward, Jonathan? Okay, it comes the saddest part of the tour, which is going back in. Yeah. Jonathan's favorite part. Okay, take a last look over the edge and give a wave bye to Toronto. Yeah, awesome job. Well, that was the last of our four adventures that our staff sent us on. How did you feel about the big finale? That was horrible. <laughs> if you ever need a proof that Pastor Jessica and I love you, we've given you four challenges so that should be proof enough. We love you and happy Easter, One Church Theo. Well, I love that line. Now comes the saddest part of the tour. And all I can think of is uh, this is the gladdest part of the tour. <laughs> Getting off of that outside exposed. Uh, and, you know, just before I went to uh, some of our staff, Pastor Matt, who's the host here, and, and Jeff, they kind of Googled and figured out mathematically that if you fall off the sea and tower, it's going to take you 4.5 seconds before you kind of hit the bottom. So time enough uh, to get right with Jesus, I guess. I, I don't know. But that, that was really hard. I was so proud of Pastor Jessica. And I was just proud I was out on that ledge, to be honest with you. That is one of my deepest fears, something I don't like people to know, something I don't like to confront. And you know what? Something I don't even think about most of the time. I don't have a reason until I'm right on the edge of something. And that's when I get exposed in that moment. Well, friends, as a minister... I've watched many people die. I've watched people watch people die. I've watched people have to step out and close to the edge of death as they've been at a funeral or they're looking in an open casket. And I know in those moments, all that undercurrent of that fear of death that is in our life and does contribute to anxiety in our life, but mostly we're able to ignore it most of the time. It comes to the surface and we can no longer ignore it, just like I couldn't ignore my fear of heights once I stepped out into that canopy or that, that, that rack, that, 
that whatever it was on the side of the CN Tower that I had to walk around, I could no longer ignore it. And the same happens with death. When you, when you, get, when you confront death, when you're watching someone die or when you are, you recognize right away that death robs you. Death robs you of purpose and meaning. I, I've heard this many times from people when they've been at a place and they'll say, well, what was all that about? Everything I was working on, everything I've been building, everything I've been saving for, it seems to matter for nothing now. It robs you of purpose and meaning and it also robs you of relationships. Loved ones, one after the other, after the other, after the other, they get taken from you. And if you're one of the lucky ones who lives a long time, you're all alone in the end. So this great fear in every human being that's baked into us, it's inside of us. But Jesus shows up to his first century followers and he shows up to us. And it's not empty-handed. He comes with resurrection gifts. And these gifts are precious. And that's what I'm going to share with you today is these resurrection gifts that Jesus comes and he gives to us so that we no longer have to be controlled by this. The first gift he gives us is the gift of faith. Faith is a gift. In, Roman, in John chapter 20, the, further down in the chapter, beyond what Rodney actually read this more, uh, today, it reads this way. It says this, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may, say it with me, believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by, say it again, believing, you may have life in his name. How do we have life? We have life by believing in his name, that he is the son of God. And as we read at the top of the gathering, that we believe that God raised him from the dead, that there's life that comes through faith. In fact, that's how we're united to the risen Christ. We're united through belief. Now, faith is a gift. It's not something you can just work up in you. It's a gift that God gives us. Philosophers, especially in the area of study of epistemology, which is the study of knowing things, how do you know things, have come to a consensus that there's no way of knowing anything without faith. Now, that might sound like something a pastor came up with, but, but these are philosophers that study epistemology that would come up with that determination. And here's, here's a great illustration of it. Let's pull it away from church world and spirituality. Let's imagine you're at work right now and you're in charge of hiring new candidates for new positions and you have a lot of applicants. How do you know which one's the one? Well, the first thing you probably do, because you're smart, is you probably gather evidence. You probably look through the CVs. You call the references. If you know someone who knows the applicant, you call them. You might even go so far as to give them a personality test, uh, uh, something that tests their psychologically, uh, their, their wiring, would they fit on your team, maybe a giftings test, test. You would examine all the evidence. Then the next thing you would do is try to convince yourself. You'd take the evidence and you'd convince yourself about which candidate is the right one. You might, you might kind of narrow it on the list and say, well, she's the one. She's the one. But reason and empirical investigation, can't, you can't say with 100% you know she's the one. You just have reasonable probability. You have reasonable probability at that point that she might be the one. I mean, your mind is convincing you, based on this evidence, she must be the one, but it's only probability. How can you know she's the one? You have to commit. 
You have to trust. You have to have faith. See, at some point, you have to pull the trigger. You have to become incredibly vulnerable and hire her. And only after you've seen her in the workplace can you then know she's the one. She's the one. You have to commit. You have to trust. You have to have faith at some point. Do you see the order? You see the order? The order goes like this. The order goes, and it says this. We want to know before we commit, but you can't know until you commit. We want to know before you commit. Don't we, in life, in every relationship, I want to know before I commit. But the fact is, you can't know until you commit. We don't want to be vulnerable. Uh, we don't want to be vulnerable until we know, but you can't know until you're vulnerable. It's our vulnerability. It's our commitment that actually helps us to discern and know what, whether she's the one or whether he's the one. Uh, Dr. Timothy Keller says it this way. He says that reason can take you to probability. Only faith can take you to certainty. Reason can take us to a place of probability, but only faith can take us to a place of certainty. Trusting in Jesus is such a big step because it requires absolute vulnerability. Absolute vulnerability, which we don't want. We don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be vulnerable. And the reason is that the Bible says that there's two layers to our souls. The first layer is a layer that God put there. The second layer is a layer we put there. The first layer is that you and I have been made for God. We've been made by him for himself. So inside of every one of us is a need for God. There is a need to worship God. There's a need to be with him. We were built for God. But something happened, right? And you've, Pastor Jessica talked about this on Good Friday. Something happened in us. The Bible also says that we, we took our wonderful, powerful, uh, rational, personal souls and our ability to choose, and we chose and decided to be our own masters. So we wanted control. We wanted to be our own masters. And these two layers of our souls war with each other. We all know especially the closer you get to the edge. You know you, it's got to be more than this. We know there's this hole, this vacuum inside of us that can't quite get filled up enough with even great things in this life. It never seems to satisfy. And whenever we get what we've wanted and we've always wanted, we get it and we're going like, is that it? We want something more. It's an insatiable appetite. We know there's something. We've been made for something bigger and grander than just living our life. And yet, we want to be in full control. And, and the fact is, if we're going to come to Jesus, we come to a place of surrender. We come to a place where we recognize we need to let go. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever had little kids, you've watched them fight sleep. I mean, for everything inside of them. And different personalities, even more aggressively, they try to fight sleep. They don't want to surrender. And to sleep is to be vulnerable. It's to be totally committed. It's to be vulnerable. It's exposed. And we don't want to sleep as children because we don't want to miss out on things. And so we stimulate ourselves. We, we shock ourselves. We, we have loud noises. Anything to keep us awake. We do anything to, to keep from falling asleep. And as humans, we're like that. And so we distract ourselves. 
We stimulate ourselves with all kinds of activities and everything. Anything to not have to consider the vulnerability of what is going to happen at death or the vulnerability of even surrendering to a higher power, to someone that is greater and grander than ourselves. We all need what Jesus brings to his disciples, the gift of faith. We all need to come to a place where we say, Jesus, Jesus, I know I need you, but I need you to give me the gift of faith. I want to believe, but I struggle to believe. And it's at that juncture where we're vulnerable and we admit that, that's the place where faith begins to start for each of us. So the first gift that Jesus comes and gives all of us is the gift of faith. The second one he gives us is closeness. Now, the story that uh, Rodney just read in John chapter 12 is fascinating. One of the oddest things about it is Jesus says something incredibly odd to Mary. Did you catch it? He said this. He said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. In fact, his words were this. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Now, what does that mean? I used to think it meant like, like a little bit like Moses being held in the cleft of the rock and hidden as God's glory went by. You know, don't touch me. You're going to get electrocuted. But it can't mean that. Because a, a few verses later, he would say to D- Thomas, the disciple, he'd say, touch me. So why is it right for Thomas to touch Jesus and not right for Mary to touch Jesus? Well, a lot of it's kind of in the words. The word that's used, touch, here in the English is from a, a, a word, the New Testament was translated from Greek, and the word that Jesus uses is cling. Don't cling to me. See, Mary's found Jesus. She's looking for him. All hope had been lost. He was dead and buried. And he finds out this is Jesus, and she clings to him, and he says, don't cling to me. She, she's desperate. I'm never going to let you go again, Jesus. I'm never going to lose you. I'm never going to let you go. And Jesus is saying, Mary, Mary, you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm not risen from the grave like Lazarus was, who will return to his old life. I'm in a different dimension now. And I'm going to ascend to the Father in heaven. And even the physical proximity has been so limited but I will, you will have 24-hour access to me now. As I ascend to the Father in heaven, you can cling to the ascended Jesus like you never could to the physical Jesus. And I will be always present, spiritually present wherever you are. You'll always be able to grab hold of me and I'll always be able to embrace you. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you holding on to Jesus? Have you embraced him? Let, let me ask you some difficult questions, maybe. And don't worry, this leads to a place of hope. But when you pray, do, do you connect with Jesus or do you just go through your prayers? When you pray, uh, is he present? Do you experience him? Do you know he's helping you? Or does your perspective become clearer and, and better? Is Jesus risen up inside of you? When you pray, do your burdens come off you? Does the load and the anxiety and the worry and the cares of this world for people and yourself and everything, does it begin to come off you? Because you're talking to someone. You're talking to someone when you pray. Are you making contact with him? Are you holding on to someone? Is he holding on to you? Now, if you're a Christian, you know what it means for Jesus to take hold of you. You've experienced that. You know what it means to hold 
to, onto Jesus. But if you're a Christian, you don't always feel it, do you? I mean, the Bible says that even those who follow Jesus were, were clouded by sin. And that sin puts a layer between us and God. And sometimes we forget he's real. Sometimes we don't feel his closeness. And this is why at the end of our gathering, I want to pray with those who want to follow Jesus, but I want to pray for those who are, that you would take hold of Jesus afresh and new, the risen Christ. So he comes to us with resurrection gifts of faith, of closeness, and of purpose. Did you notice that in the text? It's pretty interesting. When he immediately calls Mary, he says her name, Mary, and then he gives her something to do. He says, go and tell. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples where I am. And then he appears to the disciples and he says, peace to you. He, he gives them the gift of peace in that moment. And then what does he immediately say after? He says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus never, ever, 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 ever meets somebody by faith without getting them to get their eyes off themselves very quickly. Very quickly. See, are you coming to Jesus? And maybe you're coming to Jesus with your needs, and this is a really good thing. Maybe you're coming looking for healing or help or acceptance or his presence. Do you have needs that you need to be met? Good. Come to Jesus. All that we need is in his arms, the arms of our risen Savior. Come to him. Come to him. But if you're really coming to Jesus, there will be a a sentness, a mission piece to you that you can't ignore. You won't be able to keep your mind on your own problems. They'll always be looking to help others. There's a sense of go and tell. There's a sense of go and bless others. Go and be present with others. I mean, I think if Jesus was talking to us today, and as you read through scripture, you realize he is, he'd say, listen, Jonathan, I'm the great physician. I'm going to give you all the love you need. I'm going to be present with you. But, but there's no room for self-pity in my followers. It can't be just about us. There's too much work to be done. As I go, as I am with you, I will go with you. You, have, you can't just sit and contemplate your own life. You can't just sit and consider your own problems. We need to look to the problems of others and the cares of others. He never calls you to be healed without sending you out to be a healer. I, I remember an old pastor said this once to me. I never forgot it. He said, there is no greater blessedness than the blessedness of getting your mind off yourself. One of the great gifts that God gives us is a new purpose in life. The resurrection gifts of, of faith, of close intimacy with him, and of purpose. And then the final one, he gives us one of identity. He gives us identity, one of his great resurrection gifts. You notice he calls her Mary. He uses her name. I don't know what your name is. Uh, go ahead and say it out loud. Uh, most of us, likely all of us, we didn't choose our name. My name is Jonathan. My parents chose it for me. Identity is an interesting thing. The Bible would say that you don't find your identity by trying to find yourself. You find your identity by trying to find Jesus. It's in the pursuit of your creator and in finding him that we find our truest selves. 
See, in other words, it would say in Scripture, you must lose yourself to find yourself. And Mary finds herself not by trying to find herself, but by trying to find Jesus. Mary's trying to, and what's interesting, she's such a great example because she's doing everything the wrong way in this passage. Everything the wrong way. Do you notice? She's, she thinks he's dead. So she's looking for a dead Jesus. So she can't see the alive one when he's there. She's already fixated. She knows what this is going to be. She confronts a, a gardener. She thinks he's the enemy, not knowing that he's actually her friend. She, the angels speak to her, and she still doesn't get it. Mary's doing everything wrong in this passage except one thing. And that's good news for you and me. Because we do things wrong all the time. But this one thing is the thing we need to latch on to. Mary is just after Jesus. She wants Jesus. She's looking for Jesus. And she won't be satisfied until she finds Jesus. Can you imagine the jolt that must have come through her when she's frantically looking around for Jesus' dead body and she hears her name, Mary. And it's a great hope of my life, friends, is when I hear the divine one say, Jonathan, that he calls us by name. The Bible says everyone gets their identity outside themselves. Someone needs to validate us. And many of us look to our careers to do it. Some of us look to money to, to give us a sense of identity. Others of us get married or have children or become moms or dads to get a sense of identity. And we all do that. But I can't find my truest identity in being a husband, in being a father, or being a pastor. That's a part of who I am, but it's not my truest identity. In fact, if I try to find my identity in being a father, a husband, or a pastor, uh, I'm using my wife, my children, my career to validate me. And as long as I'm using them, I can't love them properly. Actually, loving comes from serving. And here's the interesting thing is, Jesus comes to me and says, Jonathan, I know you. I know your brokenness. I know the fears and the things that you try to keep well manicured and hidden. I know your fears. I know your deepest brokenness. I know your sins. I know you to the bottom. And I love you. And I want you. And I know you. And he comes to all of us that same way. In that moment when he calls our name like that, we're being transformed. It's in the vulnerability of that moment that, we're, that fear no longer has a grip on us the same way. It's in that moment that we are ch being changed. Mary, if you're a Christian, Jesus always calls you by name. Des, Nicholas, Mason, Molly, Yvonne, Sharon, Gabriel. I, I love you to the bottom. I know you. I want you. I love you. I, 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 you. You might think you go unnoticed. You might think you're forgotten, but not by me. And he affirms us. How do we get these incredible death-breaking gifts, these resurrection gifts that Jesus brings to us? How do we get in on faith? 
How do we get in on that closeness to Jesus? How do we get in on, 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 on receiving that, that purpose that God gives us or the identity that he speaks into our life? Well, we get on it by going the long way and the hard way. See, we're so momentarily driven, but Jesus is on a long road to knowing and loving you. And he will see you through even the hardships. And often, it's the hardships that bring you closer. Jesus says this. He came to his disciples. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Do you know why he had to say this? Because you and I don't have the power in ourselves to receive the gift of faith and closeness and, and, and priority or purpose or even the gift of an identity, that our truest identity. We need God's Spirit to bring his power into play in our lives so that we can uncover that. Friends, do you know the risen Christ? Do you know him? Do you have his power active in your life? If you do, then there's movement. If his power is at work in your life, then you've changed. You're in the process of being changed. Are you more like Christ today than you were a year ago? Has your behavior changed? Has some of your appetites changed? Is there a real change and real concrete change in your life? If the power of Jesus Christ has come into your life, you're becoming like him. You know, don't forget this. Notice Jesus doesn't call them deserters. He calls them brothers. Who can, only, who can do that? Only a true brother. See, a brother knows the worst about their brothers. But despite their brokenness, they know there's an identity that's deeper. There's an identity that's, that's more significant. And Jesus always goes to that identity, not the labels that people give you in this life and not the labels you speak over your life. He calls us brothers. He calls us sisters. And he calls, he invades our brokenness with his resurrection power. Friends, I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. And we're going to pray to receive. I started with this verse uh, if we confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from that greatest fear of all, death and separation from everything that is love and grace and peace, all that stuff that we yearn for in this life. But it's not just saved from something, saved to something, saved to a purpose in this life, saved to a closeness in this life, saved to a new identity, a brand new identity in Christ Jesus so that Jonathan could be the truest form of himself, that you could be the truest form of yourself. So, before I turn it back to Pastor Matt, I'd like to pray with two groups of people. I want to pray for those of you who might say, listen, I'm not a follower of Jesus right now, but I want to become a follower of Jesus. And I'm, I'm going to pray with you, and then in a moment, I want to pray with those who are followers of Jesus, but you need a reminder. You, you, you've kind of lost hold of him. Maybe, maybe you're, you, you've lost that sense of, uh, of the marvelous work of his resurrection power in your life. You wonder how close he really is. Let me pray for you today. If you want to follow Jesus, just say these words after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I come to you vulnerably. I admit. I admit I, got, I have fears. I've got brokenness in me. I've done things I'd rather forget. 
I've done things I wish other people would forget. I've done things, God, that I hope you could. Would you forgive me and fill me with your spirit? Not just any presence, but the presence of the resurrected power of Jesus. Would you fill me with Jesus' spirit? Fill me with your spirit. Lead me. In this moment, I surrender. Not my way, but your way be done. And Father, I pray for all of those who are followers of Jesus. And God, in the busyness of life, maybe in the repetition and routine of hearing the message of what you've done for us, God, maybe we've ceased to marvel at it. Maybe there's layers of maybe just even some sinfulness or maybe just some, some drift in our life that that closeness doesn't fe- seem to be there. So God, we freshly surrender to you. God, we ask you to fill us with your spirit. We receive your resurrection gifts. We receive the gift of faith. We're choosing to trust you today and commit to you. God, we receive your purpose for our life today, that we would be sent ones. We would go and tell. We would go and bless God. God, we we come to you and we surrender our identity today. Forgive us, God, for putting other things ahead of our identity in you. Before we are all the labels that we carry in this world, we want to be a son or daughter of the living king, the living God. God, we invite your power to be at work in us and through us on this Easter weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.